1: Surfing doesn't need an air-lubricated board. Some might argue that surfing doesn't need the body board. What surfing very much does need are people who think outside the box, who laugh at the box, and who wonder what would happen if they strapped the box to their feet and tried to surf it. The boogie made Tom Mori the Johnny Appleseed of surfing in terms of spreading wave-riding happiness. But the thing that stands out for me is how Tom Morey looked at surfing and saw it as being infinitely flexible and funny and worthy of our time. Tom's view of surfing was bigger and broader than anybody's, but he never lost touch with the fact that at the bottom of it all, we're just out there riding waves, and riding waves is fun. From the Encyclopedia of Surfing, I'm Tyler Brewer in Brooklyn. And I'm Jamie Brewer in london this is the sunday joint where we roll up matt warshaw's weekly newsletter for a deep inhale of surfing's past present and future i just
0: can't i just can't i just can't control my feet i just can't i just can't i just can't, I just can't control my feet sunshine i don't blame it on the moon moonlight
1: On this episode, we pay homage to the Thomas Edison of surfing, Tom Moore. We explore the life and times of this creative genius, the innumerable contributions he made to surfing, and his influence on the culture at large. We go beyond the boogie board, and of course, Jamie and I play a game of one-upmanship with Stump, my bro, all on the Sunday joint. The Sunday Joint is an adjacent podcast to the Encyclopedia of Surfing and is produced by the Surf Splendor Podcast Network. Well, we got yeah, ourselves you do in that last, what? <laughs> you
2: do that last one. And you know, it reminds me of those last bit when you like say who we're affiliated with. It reminds me, do you remember Red and Stimpy? Yeah. <laughs> remember they, they once had, remember they used to have like a thing, um, in a, a commercial for log? Yeah. Like the t- it's log. It's, it's big. It's heavy. It's wood. Everyone That's the wood that you can play, you know, everything. <laughs> and then they had like all different types of logs. And yeah. <laughs> Mexican log. And it could have different languages. And, but there's the one where it's just maybe not that funny actually saying it out loud. But we said, Las cucarachas entran, pero no pueden salir. It was like the disclaimer that cockroaches can enter, but they can't leave. I don't know, it's just not something about the cadence and rhythm where you did it. Sorry.
1: Uh yes. Ren and Pod- podcasts give a little too much room for thinking out loud, maybe. <laughs> so uh Tom Morey. Uh we uh we've got another big topic here because he's he's kind of a larger than life character in, in surfing and looms very large in the culture at all, you know, as as a whole. Um, You 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 kind of prepared a little bit like kind of an outline here on 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 how we tackle this. I, I was hoping maybe you can kind of like what you were thinking, like like I loved how you broke it down, to, you know, how we have to discuss this because there's so much. Uh, can you can you kind of discuss that? Can you talk about that for a sec?
2: Well, I think the first thing to talk about is is exactly what you said in the intro. Is, you know thinking outside the box, um, and like you know, I think he was he was very much aware that he was thinking outside the box, and he was critical of those who didn't think outside the box. He didn't like yeah. limited thinking at all. Um, and it's funny, you said, What did you say? He's the, the Tom Edison of surfing, yeah,
1: the Thomas Edison of surfing, yeah, yeah, maybe more it, Tesla, it was... maybe more Tesla. I don't know.
2: Well, <laughs> it's, that's interesting. I was thinking all the different people you could compare him to, you know. Um, uh, he once said in an interview, I think he said that I am not Tom Mori, I'm the spirits of Thomas Edison and Albert, Albert Einstein, Einstein and a few others that I using. Yeah, using this poor guy Tom's body right now as a channel. <laughs> he was very much here. Yeah, he liked. He was very aware of the fact that he was thinking outside the box. Yeah, I thought. <laughs> so yeah, Elon Musk. I, ooh. <laughs> I feel like Tom. <laughs> I, yeah, maybe. I mean, he was. He was very charismatic, but um, obviously uh not as maybe i don't know he he did think about making money and money was important but he never really really struck it rich though yeah yeah i think you know he sold sold maury boogie in, in the late 70s before to mattel i think or whammo uh or
1: came chemco Kem, or something like that i think it is uh the name of it <laughs> well, whoever made log whoever made log <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, something like that well actually the log was very much like
2: an invention that he might have come up with you know something really flexible you could do all sorts of things with it uh, i thought actually that tom Mori was a bit almost had some aspects of steve jobs and that you know like you think of apple as super innovative and breaking ground with with brand new ideas and products that were never yeah. before but actually what Steve Jobs did was he noticed stuff that was already kind of in the pipeline, there. but just wasn't coming together. And he managed to yeah. bring it together and bring it to market. And Tom Morey did that. You know, I think he did it with different fin systems. He did it with different, um, you know, different
1: traction. He did it, you know, all sorts but of stuff. He, he, he was like, I didn't know. It's like, he, he was first to put like concave in the nose basically. Even Mm. you know, like I was, I wasn't aware of that. That you know, or he did wingtips. You know, uh, polypropylene fins. He did like there's just like there's a whole. He was he was an inventor, you know, like Uh, a total. But but he wasn't just always
2: an inventor. A lot of times, he took someone else's idea and kind of made it happen. I think commercial. Yeah. And it actually figured out a way to, to, you know, to make it into a product.
1: Yeah. I mean, he, he, it sounded like from all the stuff I've been reading, like he, he sounded like an extreme, obviously a very open-minded person, you know, but he was also like very likable, like carrot, like you said, charismatic and I've watched like a bunch of videos of him and he just like, just seems so cool. Like I just would would love. Like I've met him once um, at a trade show, and he he was like he just just total charisma. Like what exactly absolutely. happened? I was at a trade show um, in probably like two thousand seven, I think, at Surf Expo, and uh, it was like when Catch Surf started. What's Catch uh, Surf? Catch surf, you know, they make the foam beater, beater boards, the stuff that Jamie O'Brien rides and everyone rides like all these foam boards, you know, Kalani Robb rides them. They have okay. this fucking crazy sh- clothing line. That's like real eighties inspired, you know, kind of aesthetic. And they, I mean, they're huge. They're so massive right now. Um, but they were just launching and he had these, uh, he was working with them basically and did like the Y surfboard. That he was doing it was like a fo- like a functional the, the swizzle no not the swizzle but that was also another you know uh board that's we can discuss in a sec but <laughs> these boards were were foam uh foam surfboards but they were kind of solid core and you can ride them performance wise they were actually like performance foam boards before anyone was really doing anything like that. And, uh, he had like, actually like the, the, the deck was like this kind of soft, um, smooth kind of vinyl-y kind of feel to it, you know, or like, it was like the base of like, you know, of a bodyboard, you know, it was that type of material, but on the deck and like Hans Hagen was there and he was riding those boards and everything. And it launched with catch surf. Um, but then, yeah, he did the swizzle, which was basically a side cut surfboard, which, Ended up, you know, Thomas Meyerhofer basically started doing with his boards, you know, but his were more more extreme than Tom Morey's, actually. His were more like a piece of art. Yeah, but there was a functionality to them, too. Um, But I, I, I do find it interesting, like, how Tom was definitely ahead of that with, like, the side cut on surfboards. Like, there wasn't, no one was really doing that. You know, you have, like, Mick Mackey, who was doing some of it. I think even even before McMackey Tom Morey was doing it. Yeah. And I um well so
2: you were like what you were saying like what what was his personality what what did he say what was
1: uh... He was just so co- he was so cool, nice, polite, like just, you know, th- he started talking about his ideas and you just wanted to sit and just like listen to him kind of rattle off stuff. Um you know, I don't I don't remember too much. I just remember walking away like Fuck, I just met Todd Boy. It was pretty cool, you know? And, and I, I, yeah, it was. And then all the videos I've watched with him, he just comes off as very chill, somewhat pragmatic, though. Like he doesn't seem out there, you know? He doesn't seem like a loopy, you know, kind of out there person. He seems like someone who is very credible in what he's saying, you know? I mean, he has I like. Have thought- yeah, I wouldn't have thought he'd be wacky. I mean, like, well, every, some inventors, his... some inventors are like eccentric, you know, or or tend to have like a certain eccentricity. It, that didn't come across at all. Well,
2: all of his inventions or his ideas or whatever his products, yeah, they were always like what seemed to make the most sense, you know, and yeah. what would what would yeah you know, what would appeal to people, you know, what would be easy to use, you know, like whether it be having. You know, like uh, he had a, a short board in the early '70s that was really thick and buoyant. You know, so yeah. you can knee paddle it. You know, because he wanted people to be able to to surf and have fun. And the same thing with the boogie board. And uh,
1: it was always like, let's make sense. He also, what, what, but, well, he also like challenged like conventional ideas. And he always like I was reading a whole bunch of stuff on the, on the on the encyclopedia of surfing about him criticizing you know boards and being like we're stuck you know we should be going faster we should be doing more of these things like and he had like uh, like crazy ideas you know he he felt like surfboards were stuck and and didn't really evolve as quickly or as drastically as he thought they could be uh had that did you read about this one idea the alka-seltzer method it was so Tell cool. Us about it. Mix acetone, resin, and crush sodium bicarbonate into a paste, brush uh, into a paste and then brush a thin layer onto the bottom of your stick. Head down to the beach, paddle out on your super fizzer, and as the sodium bicarbonate reacts with the water, you'll be racing free as free as a drop of water on top of a griddle toward the lineup. Like well, <laughs> It's like free. You know that's a like it's out there idea
2: that I love. No like so if, if you're thinking of surfing in this in the 60s um, I mean kind of I was gonna say up until recently, but maybe even still now like surfing is very much an activity where sure. you can feel very self-conscious and not want to stick out too much and you want to adhere to a code of cool you know very much so um i don't know if it's the same in other activities but definitely in surfing you know you feel self-conscious of sticking out trying new things what kind of things do you think contributed to him
1: not being so encumbered by it huh i i don't know like i i was trying to find Information I couldn't find a whole lot like on what his relationship was like with his parents. I was kind of digging, looking for this sort of stuff. Like what what gave him uh this open-minded approach to living life in general? Um, he was born in Detroit. I knew that, lived there till like nine years old. And I thought for a second, maybe you know, being there at like a certain time period when cars were being made and you know, there was a lot of uh, development being around, like something would inspire him. But then, he, you know, he moved to, what was it, uh, Laguna, you know, um, you know, when he was nine. So I don't know. I was trying to find something maybe like with his family that that encouraged him towards this kind of open-mindedness. But I don't know. He studied math at USC, uh, became like an engineer, you know, for, for like a, you know, um, Air, you know, uh, aeronautics company. Um, but well, that's right, right
2: there. You just hit upon a couple of things. Oh, here we go. So, well, so first of off Laguna beach was actually yeah. quite a creative place, you know? Yeah. Um, you know, if you ever, you know, in the, in the seventies, it was like, well, still is actually like the a real hotbed of, um, skim boarding, you know, yeah, which is a real true. alternative way of looking at waves. Yeah. And, I mean, even, you know, even in the old days, it was big skimboarding, you know, so that yeah. already is going to get you to look things. There's a lot of artists living yeah. there. Um, True. You know, and when um, I know when Bill Hamilton talks about growing up there, you know, he's around a lot of creative people who were kind of bucking society's trends, mm. you know, living, uh, living in a way that's probably more would would be totally acceptable now but back then was quite you know left the field yeah and, and then going to usc like you know maybe if you think of all the other top surfers of the time you know they uh who was going to university um you know kemp arberg went went to U at santa barbara i <laughs> um i don't know you who else you know but he was when you go off to university you know with a lot of other people who aren't surfers you know you probably yeah. think oh actually the world's you know you, I don't know. Surfing's just this, you know, this part of my life, but it's not everything. And then the other thing which probably gave him the confidence is he was a real shit hot surfer. So he already yeah. was like, he didn't have to prove anything to anyone. You know, did you, you read True. like Lance, Lance Carson's assessment of him? No, I didn't actually. I missed that. Back in the sixties, Lance in the like mid sixties in a, I think it was in surf guide. Um, he was just going on for like three or four paragraphs about how everyone thinks of Tom Mori as, you know, this business guy or this surfboard shaper. And, but actually, he was in at Malibu, you know, in other places. He was, you know, one of the best, one of the very top. He said he was up there with Phil Edwards, and nobody ever talks about that. You know, like <laughs> he say, like, he was in the top five surfers on the coast. But, in a way the same thing you know people say that about john severson you know like people don't True. think about him being a really awesome surfer but he won the uh with the peruvian international championships you know like
1: it's so there, if, if there i think the things really, overshadowed their surfing which i think is interesting
2: you yeah, know but i think if you're really good that gives you so much freedom you know like if you paddle out and you paddle out with a weird thing and then you rip,
1: rip harder than everyone else it's yeah. like
2: you're one of the cool kids. You could do it. you want a bit more.
1: Do you think also the fact that uh, he discovered jazz and was like almost like a prodigy drummer? Like he was phenomenal. Uh, I mean, at one point, he like uh he played with Dizzy Gillespie once in 1980. He played oh, I'm forgetting the other jazz musician that he played with when he was like Bud 14. But you know like and also when he was 14 he played the drums. They needed a drummer for this this one jazz band I forgot I'm forgetting the guy's name right now. Um but then he he like ended up playing with the guy for like a week or so in the area, you know? Like and that would that would give you confidence alone too, right? Yes.
2: I remember in um, when Mark Sutherland, Mark Sutherland, that's the right name, right? Yeah. The guy who did Gonad Man? Yeah, yeah. He one. wrote the, the profile of, of Andrew Kidman and he said, you know, Andrew, he was, you know, like top rated competitive surfer as an amateur and then went on to be the editor of Waves at 19 years old. Yeah. And he said, basically, by that point, he had no reason to doubt his own convictions and his yeah his own ideas and stuff he's like well everything i do is the same thing like elon musk everything they say do that about good. elon musk they say yeah. that about
1: jeff bezos and all these people who Kelly Slater, 60. apparently he knows more about health than 99% of the doctors out there. It's true. It's true, he does. He does think that. Um, and that's what they say. You know, if you have all that it
2: just kind of frees you up to be like, look, I, I'll trust myself, you know? So, yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah. You know, and then also just being into jazz, I think in general is a, is a in the music aspect and applying that, to surfing um i think that alone also frees up your mind right like jazz is, is a very it's not so much image it's it's sound and 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 at that time period it, you know you had bebop and all sorts of radical music coming out of that that time period so i mean that would also influence i imagine so well, actually contrary to what you said
2: it's actually really was about image the jazz scene in the 50s i guess and actually he probably thought surfing man jazz i do i hang out with these much cooler people than you guys you know like (laughs) i'm not worried about i'm not worried about what you guys (laughs) think
1: i like that yeah you know the other thing is he was very optimistic it seemed and, and you know, uh, like he was, you know, there was he had a um, he also had become a Baha'i. He had Baha'i faith. Uh, you know, this religion, which is like kind of a, a kind of interesting, because it's like trying to it 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 like accepts all the different religions. It's quite an open minded uh, religion, um, you know, and. And that too, just gave him like this whole thing about wanting to do stuff that's positive. And I gave him kind of a, a optimistic outlook on, on the world. right? Like he believed everyone once they learned to surf or, or experience, interact with nature by bodyboarding, they would um, they would be, they would be much more knowledgeable about the world or be more evolved because of it. Or anyone that evolved, needed uh who was gonna evolve from this planet needed to to learn how to like surf basically he kind of felt (laughs) so so that would that would all all give him this like inspiration to constantly be thinking outside the box which i think is really important also in surfing right like surfing is funny because it's quite conservative Uh, but we tend to, we definitely do praise like these people who, who do think outside the box, but not many of us tend to follow that. Well, it's weird. Like, do I want to ask like,
2: yeah, you know, a minute ago I was saying like up until now it was quite conservative. Like, cause if I, if I go onto my, you know, if I go online and I look Mm -hmm. at surfing and what's out there and I go on Instagram and read all this stuff to me, it seems especially in, in london you know i'm not going to the beach that often yeah to me it seems like whoa you know like surfing is really blown wide open we're in a real renaissance period right now you know, there's all sorts of people surfing you know it's not yeah. just you know white male surfing anymore it's not just shortboard high performance anymore it's it's like wow you know um you know i was like god you're so different from you know, even like the first couple of years of surfing in the mid 80s, you know, like even older surfers were on shortboards because that's all there was. Yeah. Uh, it wasn't until a few years later that it became acceptable along. Um, but then, I don't know, I f- feel like if I go down to the beach when the waves are good, it seems like it looks pretty similar to the way it looked <laughs> 20, yeah. 30
1: years ago, like mostly white guys on shortboards. It-, it depends on where you live and where you surf, probably. You know, um, but I think what about still, I mean, like, you know, when it gets overhead, Yeah, you know, like- when it gets overhead, I mean, like people are riding pretty standard boards for the most part. You you have these things that are pushed out on social media. You know, you'll see Derek Hind on his friction free board or you'll see some of these pros doing stuff. But the average surfer. Um, yeah, things have gotten more open in terms of what boards you ride out in the lineup now. Yeah, we see a lot more variety of boards. But at, you know, depending on where you live, like if you were to go to Southern California, I, I don't think you would see a whole lot of diversity, you know, or a lot of people approaching surfing in many different ways. Uh, I think it's all pretty standard, you know, maybe some people on long boards, maybe a lot of people on mid lengths these days you know boards may be a bit different but the attitudes i don't think are totally different or totally open-minded in in a lot of a lot of regards potentially yeah and um, i know
2: when when you know when we were young like seeing laird hamilton and all the different things he was getting up to and i'm talking about before tow windsurfing, surfing even yeah. you know when he was windsurfing you know like and he'd seen yeah. lots of pictures of windsurfing or paddle boarding. i remember thinking like ah oh, he's not like a real hardcore surfer, you know, yeah. he's like into all this others. Not that, I mean, I yeah. knew he was amazing, you know, Yeah, Lance Burkhardt, but like I was thinking as a kid, as a teenage, young teenager, I thought to myself, and I, it wasn't necessarily taken away from him, but I was kind of like, okay, maybe he doesn't feel it like the way most, you know, like the way I feel it, you know, like to me, it's just surf, 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 you know? And, and I remember reading something, an interview with Kai Lenny, and he said, people would give him shit. And he's young, yeah. you know, he's, yeah, well, maybe only 30 or something. And he, like he said on Maui, you know, and this is recent times. This is the last yeah. in the after, you know, 2000 he said people would give him shit for doing all sorts of other
1: things. Yeah, I mean, it's it's still I mean, dude, just look at the boards and what they're made of, you know, they're still mostly made of polyurethane. You have some people on epoxy. You have some companies trying to do some different, you know, kind of composites, you know, uh, you know, foam and stuff. But for the most part, it's still pretty standard. You know, the the board making process is still the same for the last 50 years, really. Um, You know, uh, yeah, I just think. Yeah, I, I, I tend to kind of agree in some ways with like Maury, you know, Tom Maury in the sense that I look at the boards today and how people make them. And I'm like, it's not really pushing the envelope. There's really nothing really that crazy going on um, that's out there. You know, I, I mean, I, I have a lot of ideas, uh, you know, <laughs> I have a lot of ideas that people don't discuss. I think like you could make a board. You know, like, I don't know why no one's made a surfboard that's like a skateboard deck with different layers of foam densities and whatnot. Uh, why you don't have like, on big wave boards, like a softer bottom material, because that would absorb some of the chalk maybe and make it run actually faster or why we don't have shark skins type of bottoms on boards to go faster. Like, there's so many things we still have yet to explore and we're, we're not really pushing the envelope, I think. So. But I, when you,
2: have you felt constrained? Like, have you felt that, so like, um, there's another person who he ah, vaguely reminds me of his, do you know the artist, Grayson Perry? No. So here in England, he's like, he's like a household name over here. He's probably 10 years older than me. And, um, he, the, basically it's a lot of things he he, he questions you know uh, mainstream thinking a lot and he's written different books on stuff but um but one of the so one of the things he said is that there's a lot of men have in their head this the the the, the ministry of man is mm-hmm. always telling you this voice in your head on what you can and can't do you know like oh don't put that shirt on it's too Mm -hmm. it's too loud and colorful and don't uh don't talk that way don't you know always play football this you know so like did do you feel like when you are at the beach going surfing and around surfers do you feel like an internal voice like telling you what not
1: to do and what to do oh yeah i'd still do i have certain things for sure you know um You know, there's definitely a little bit of an ego thing too, where you just want to look cool or you want to look credible when you go into the lineup because that might give you more opportunity to get waves. You know, I think if you present yourself as a credible surfer when you paddle out at a spot that maybe you're not as familiar with, um, you want to come across a certain way so that people may not judge you and think that you're a kook and may burn you. You know there's always that kind of looming threat of like oh i might be ostracized i might not be able to get waves or i might get harassed or you know or made fun of or called a kook and so i gotta look a certain way i gotta paddle a certain way i have to you know position myself a certain way i have to say something like oh how you going or hey how are you mate yeah you know like trying to sound cool and all that sort of stuff totally you know? Um, but there is like a, a thing of like also because I do it because I want to maybe be able to be taken seriously in the lineup that I'm so in that that uh, can catch waves and surf well. And- is it so much of a practice? Do you think uh,
2: I think I've told myself that, oh, it's because I want to like get waves. But actually if I really scratch the surface, it's not about a practical thing of getting waves because I'm pretty much going to get the same amount of waves. It's mainly just about how I feel about myself and how other people are feeling about me. Cause actually, oh, here we go. I'm and- getting on the couch now. Let
1: me just, but it is,
2: it is interesting how powerful, um, how powerful that is and how, what you do notice sometimes is that when people do do something slightly left for like if someone does go bodyboarding or body surfing, Um, Mm -hmm. they have to do it with this like over-the-top sense of irony, like, oh, look at me, you know, I'm riding a bodyboard now or a softboard or get my hands. Instead of being earnest
1: about it. Yeah.
2: Well, instead of just doing it, you it's like you almost want to like say, I know that this is a bit left of field, but I'm open-minded enough to try (laughs) something like that. You know, like (laughs) I think you you end up having that all. on on top of you and maybe maybe i don't know maybe tom moore did as well and maybe the reason he was so vocal about it was to try to like reclaim the space of being open-minded you
1: know like yeah i i think that's a very possible thing he 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 felt he was saying in an interview there was like a baha'i prayer um about if you want to um you know, you should, it, I'm I'm going to totally fuck this up. But like, it was about like, basically you want to do good in the world. You know, you, 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 you give, you, you give uh, access to people to the thing. Oh man, I totally messed this up. I don't ex- know exactly, but he heard, of, <laughs> he heard this, this kind of chant and prayer and it inspired him to make the boogie board because he felt he wanted to open it up to everyone and have mm. everyone experience wave riding. Cause he thought that would help lead them to enlightenment. Or to lead them to having a greater appreciation of the world. Um, and you know, who's to argue that he didn't? You know, who's to argue that it didn't do that to for a lot of people?
2: Yeah, because you know, when people before that talk about, you know, if they lived near the beach, they'd go body surfing. And body surfing's really fun, but it's it's kind of hard to do. Like you have yeah. to go down to the beach. For a few days before you really figure out how to body surf whereas a bodyboard you know i think paul gross i think was the writer who, who said you know you, you get it you can't not ride it correctly yeah. you know like yeah. on your first day you're catching waves and everybody loves bodyboarding you know
1: you glide and you glide that you didn't get from body surfing right mm-hmm. like you get that initial glide that initial feel I mean, how many people have started bodyboarding to evolve into surfing, you know, or uh, it's, it's, it's mind blowing how many people it's, it's probably touched and influenced, you know, uh, one of the things I did find interesting, I was looking up, I thought about this, I don't know about you, but I started thinking like, all right, Tom Mori did the bodyboard, but who came up with the cool light? You Know because the cool light also was a similar had a similar effect of the bodyboard, and it's it is a similar type of product. No, I know the answer to that one. Oh, yeah. Well, it's not a stump your bro type of of situation here, but it was 1970 manufacturer Sanders. (laughs) KFC. (laughs) Nobody just like me in my original style, like MR. was <laughs> this this uh manufacturer named frank Horden found they had all this excess esky type foam and it prompted by his uh pre daughter's love of the beach Horden uh, approached sydney surfboard shaper shane stedman mm. uh to ask if it might be any good for making cheap boards for kids and within a month shane labeled kool boards were flooding through the department stores so but didn't Kentucky Fried Chicken start to give them away or with um a
2: bucket or something? It was the Probably started on the the K- Kentucky Fried Chicken kool light. <laughs> I'm pretty uh, sure, like that's that what, like
1: that, uh, yeah. But I, I I just found that that was interesting. That was going on in Australia around the same time that Maury well, was and, doing. And that's the, the
2: thing. Game. I think you know, like things were kind of out there, you know. But he was the one who made it happen, you know. Like there were MP3 players, but yeah. You know apple figured out there's like they just made it really and he and it was it was such an obvious like this hearing how it came up with it. you know like they had surf mats already and they were already kind pipos. of doing it Yeah, had pipos yeah, exactly it was already happening but all of a sudden you know it was like well let's just you know take this much cheaper material that's you know you can pre-fabricate soft. very easily soft. and it's soft yeah. And we'll just shape it a little bit like a surfboard, but, you know, we'll have some, you know, make down rails, you know, with a flat bottom, you know, so sort of planes mm-hmm. and then uh, Bob's your uncle. Yeah. Tom's,
1: Tom's your uncle. Tom's your uncle. <laughs> <laughs> the other thing that, you know, I mean, there's, that's the bodyboard, but he also created professional surfing. Yes. You know, like that's also like a whole thing that like is crazy. Uh, You know, technically, technically, there was a another contest that came before. Uh, It was uh, the Laguna Sportswear Masters in Hermosa. Would they pay Uh, money? It wasn't money. It was a sedan, a Kawasaki motorcycle and a hi-fi set uh, and a new wardrobe. So they didn't give technically money, but they gave prizes. But Tom Morey's was, you know, the Morey Invitation was the first uh, professional contest with money, uh, which was really cool. And and also what was so cool about it was it was pretty much object, you know, uh, objective and not subjective because it was timed by your your tip time on the nose, basically, Uh, whereas. You know, every other contest had been purely subjective and you could argue with it. And I was like, I think the math, mathematician in, in Tom that wanted to kind of be like, nope, this is the criteria. You know, I don't know. I thought that was pretty cool. And then, and then when it evolved, but and, then, the... and
2: it makes so much sense. You know, it's like he saw through, you know, uh, all the bullshit and everything. Just it was like the obvious decision to make. Yeah. A, especially at the time when, you know, nose riding was, you know, the like the rigour, the, you know. Yeah. <laughs> so, but, but like, it was it was just like, it was almost like if everybody was sitting around like, right, we need to come up with a system. It's like, uh, I know, just make a hang 10 contest. Like, oh yeah, of course. <laughs> so how come we didn't think of that first?
1: <laughs> it's It's wild. Although Mickey Munoz beat technically, beat, you know, he beat Mike Hinson, but technically Mike Hinson won. It was just there was like a an error in calculation. Well, do you um, know what the why what the error was? Um, it
2: was uh, you know how I, they discovered it. No, what it was was um when they looked at the judges sheet later judges sheets later on. Um, I read this article like a few years ago, so I'm only doing it from memory, but. They looked at it and i think like three of the judges or most of the judges judged it uh on a certain time but then another judge judged it like much longer yeah. or, or one or vice versa or something like that and they realized that one of the judges was you know looking into the curl or something so couldn't see it you know or, ah. or something like it, something about the angle and they
1: realized that threw everything off or something like that but um fascinating you, you know it was interesting though the second year they ran the event in 66 it was it, it became more complex it was actually not just how much tip time but it was how they calculated how much tip time you had uh, above the line on the nose but also how long you were standing up for they calculated into the ride as well so the first day, it was the first day of competition. It was three days of competition. The first rounds, it was calculated how much time you stood up on the board, plus how much time you were on the nose, but the nose time was, uh, dub- I believe doubled uh so that you know it was all factored in there was given more risk or reward for the nose time
2: why did they count how long you were standing up
1: for i don't know i you know i mean maybe like that because, sounds ridiculous anyone can stand up on this well skateboard. imagine if you had a 12 foot glider or something you could really be up for a lot longer and and you could play this but there was a bit of strategy then to it on how you rode the waves you could play it safe and ride the wave really long uh, because like, if you fell, right, like you would fall, that would be like an error on you and you would lose the amount of time that you'd be standing on the wave actually. Mm-hmm. So, so then the second day was purely tip time. That was it. It wasn't how long you were up on it. And those rounds, that was when like Dave Nueva was crushing it. Uh, and then the third day was again, back to the format of how long you were up and how long tip time you had. And, you know, some people just stood up longer, but on the board, but they didn't have a lot of tip times. They played it safe. And some p pe- and one of the guys, the, the person who won, uh, Bob Purvey, um, uh, no, Terry Jones, he won because he he took the risk and was up on the nose the most of, of the time and got most the double of points or whatever. And it was really, really interesting, like how they calculated and, and gave like this whole new structure to surfing. <laughs> it's wild. Uh, and when you see where it is now, it's like, yeah, it's kind of interesting. But he—he's basically the father of professional surfing. I don't think people give him that much credit for it. No,
2: he's yeah. I suppose he'd be like the, the biological father, you know. Where yeah, maybe Fred and Randy, like you know, were like the the, the people who raised pro surfing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> They had to change all the, the
1: diapers and stuff. You know? <laughs> do, you, do you know, I, I want to go back to the boogie board real quick. You know what also is really cool about the first boogie boards? They You could buy them for a kit for $25 and you can make them yourself. That was pretty, yeah. That's pretty why,
2: cool. Why did they do that?
1: Is that just because it was a lot easier for him to just send the kit out? Probably that. And also, I imagine as a tinkerer himself, he probably would love... The idea of other people like evolving it themselves building it themselves you know Mm -hmm. and kind of maybe he could see a different evolution i don't know i don't know exactly the thought process on it that's what i would imagine maybe i suppose Uh, it would would cut out a major step it would be a lot easier yeah and cheaper you know probably just to send it out like that you know you can just sell more that way but uh that that was pretty that's pretty neat Yeah, I'd love that. That'd be pretty cool. I'd love to get like a boogie board kit now where you can glue together different pieces of it, you know, and cut up different parts of foam and put stiffer foam in there. That'd be kind of cool. Why do you think bodyboarding's become a lot more acceptable lately? Well, it seems to, at least in the media it has. Because the people who are boogie who are bodyboarding are going on the fucking craziest waves. Mm, it's like the slab. Sla- I think that kind of that gave a lot of credibility to the bodyboarders. Um, you know, it's particularly like it went so underground in like the late nineties, early two thousands. Like you hardly heard of bodyboarding. The bodyboarding world tour dissolved. Like there was like nothing going on. You didn't. You know, the magazines dried up. And you didn't hear much of bodyboarding actually. And then all of a sudden photos and stuff of people riding like slabs and stuff. And that inspired the surfers, you know, who is surfing hours in Sydney. It was the bodyboarders first, Mm. not the, not the surfers, you know? And so I think that part of it, the other is I think um, catch surf definitely helped make it cool. Like they got, they started making, you know, the Kalani Rob model and the Jamie O'Brien model. And they made these softboards that were you could perform on, and Ben Gravy too. You know, you have all these people who are riding these softboards a lot in good waves, and, and they're kind of this. They're they're surfing them, but there's like kind of this like, oh, look at me acting kind of silly on a softboard. Well, that's,
2: it's interesting, those are the Americans, whereas like in <laughs> yeah. Australia, you have like was it Creed McTaggart and people like yeah. that who are like riding they're sponsored bodyboards. by drag bodyboard co. Yeah, you know? but they're using bodyboards, they're not riding soft surfboards, they're actually yeah. and they're doing
1: like cool, they're, crazy they're standing on those and yes. they're able to do skate tricks with it. Um, you know, they're able to do like you know, uh, all sorts of shove and whatnot on those things. So I imagine that that has something to do with it, too. And when the waves are a little bit less than subpar, it's something to do, right? Mm. Yeah. I, I when mean, I think back to, like, sometimes
2: I'll I'll actually remember what it was like bodyboarding in the, in the years leading up to surfing. And actually, uh, they're really good memories. You know, like, yeah. one just, like, being so close to the wave is actually really cool and wave you know, like, looks bigger <laughs> wave looks bigger you can get in the tube really easily um it's it's very immersive you know you're constantly in the water rather than on top of it um and you're not you're definitely not thinking about your style at all you know, you're know, you just like you yeah. you might be thinking about what you're doing you know? So, you know you might be trying to show off a bit with how you're surfing but actually it's really about the feel about it more than like it's as soon as I started standing up, it was like the feeling went out the window, you know, it was all about being good. Uh, Mm -hmm. Whereas like the whole, before I actually started surfing, I remember, I wasn't really that focused on being a good surf. It was more like just, Oh, being, you know, I've talked about it before, you know, the sensation because going on a boogie board as a little kid, it was just so like, Oh, nice. But then as soon as I started getting up then it was like, uh, okay
1: let's put aside those feelings and start focusing on doing well you know <laughs> i i i just i have so many i was thinking about this the other day like how i would have this like we would go surf tobe uh i remember going uh on the boogie board and he had this for our for our listeners like tobe is this spot in long island that has like a really big shore break like a real kind of heavy shore break and I just always have this memory of like surfing there on the bodyboard and just the stomach, the feeling in my stomach, you know, Mm. riding this shore break type of wave, you know, and then getting sand all in my, you know, like my speedos, you know, (laughs) like Mm. coming up and like having like a whole bunch of sand in there, you know, like, but it was just like so much fun. Like the drops, I always just, I still remember them, you know? Um, I don't know. Like, and we had like, you know, had the, the, was oh, is it the Mach 8? I think it was with the fins that came out. 7RS, oh, um, the Mach 7RS, 7. 7 I think. The retractable skeg. That's yes. what the RS stood for. That's yes, what it was. Silver one, silver yeah. one, with the rainbow. That was yes. really cool. Did you know, um, I'm trying to find the info here, but he, but Tom Mori, he also named, like he did, he wrote, like he did all this, he did wrote all these numbers on the boards from the Baha'i faith. Basically, it wasn't like the number of board, it was based on the years, like key years or whatever of the Baha'i faith. I thought that was pretty, yeah. Like when I my first boogie boards was like the uh,
2: okay, you know, like the seven, eight, six or something like that. There's was, was always three numbers, and yeah, yeah, because it was the three years that it was numbers. made of yeah it was the year that it was made so like the was the first one is um 974 or something like whatever it was you know like, yeah and uh, yeah and i i always thought it was like a bmw you know like the, like yeah. the 320 you know or something like that
1: <laughs> mark seven seven but, well that uh, probably was that that's yeah he wasn't there anymore but then um, the other thing is him and Mike Doyle invented the first soft surfboard too mm-hmm. in 1976, I think, or 77. And God, that also has, I mean, if you go to any surf school these days or you look around like that has changed everything and that's because of them.
2: Yeah, nuts. I know. We One wonders like would someone else have come up. Around with these things were they inevitable? You know, was the boogie board, was the soft surfboard inevitable? You know, like uh was like would it have come out just a few years later if he
1: wasn't around? No. Mm. I wonder. I wonder. You know, I mean, that's definitely a thing. Like, would would someone have just come up? Would you know? It's sort of like a lot of inventions were invented around the same time, right? Like, mm-hmm. you know, you had like a Radio kind of came up around the same time. Electricity, you know, a lot of inventions have been invented in similar time periods in different parts of the world. um You know, I wonder, like, would someone have come up with the foam surf? I mean, or maybe, maybe we all would have rode like cool lights up here. Yeah.
2: <laughs> but, that, but that's the thing. Like, his, I guess he might say it wasn't so much that he was an inventor, but. That he was a surfer and like because he you know he really liked the idea of applying surfing skills to everyday life you know and it was yeah. all about catching waves when they came up and that's what he did was he was just very good at being aware of when a wave was coming and catching it yeah and yeah that's basically what happened with all those things so you know, he looked up saw a wave coming and he said there you go i'm going to catch that one whereas other
1: people just weren't looking God. I mean, what else? He invented the wave set of fins, commercially successful removable fins before futures or anything. Uh well, But again, that's something
2: that yeah. you know, uh, what's his face? Um what's his face? Sorry. George Downing, you know, uh, Downing, you know yeah. like had already started doing something like that, but he made it into a Exactly. A, more successful an thing, you know, manufactured kind of thing. The the, um, the, the Yeah, did, did you read what his his description of like a true surfer is uh like you want quote. to read
1: that again because uh, yeah, i didn't put it in my notes but i did read it
2: Oh, it's, it's great i like it so you know and then this this goes to you know like I was saying with just keeping his eyes open he said you know my idea of a true surfer is a guy with practically no muscles a pure loafer this was written like 30 years ago with uh, the least possible stuff using the fewest possible motions times it all perfectly and lives a super exciting life, just barely squeaking through it all unscathed. No, you know, like no alimony payments, no constant (laughs) goddamn complaining about how he's a victim, no built up treasures. Uh, you know, meanwhile, the greatest surfer would be living life to the fullest in all respects income, the good things of life, raising kids, contributing to society, et cetera, and not necessarily being particularly recognized for his or her skill. Um, yeah, he said, but this is the one thing still in store for surfing to produce some real surfers, you know. And it's yeah. just, yeah, like it's just all about not necessarily being responsible for the creation of everything, but just channeling it, riding it, you know,
1: keeping your eyes open. And God, so cool. <laughs> <laughs> He's awesome, man. I mean, he, you know what I also really love? was was over the last... You know, a few months particularly, like I was not as for some reason I I didn't realize like how much Mike Stewart grew up with him. You know, mm. who's like one of the arguably one of the greatest surfers of all time. Um, you know, definitely the the greatest body surfer of all time, but uh, body boarder and body surfer. Um, but he grew up like working for for Tom Mori you know, in his invention shack, basically, and how he went on to dominate bodyboarding, you know, it's really kind of, it's mythological, almost, no, like, he he grows up under the tutelage of the guy who invented bodyboarding, and then goes on to, you know, kind of dominate the whole sport. And he's got this amazing open mind about it. And, I don't know. Just I love that kind of like uh lineage, I guess.
2: No, yeah, I don't know. And I guess, you know, like yeah, they that was what they were living on the big island at the time, you know, in Hawaii. Yeah. Uh, and that attracts you know, pretty free thinking people as well. Totally. Probably. Totally.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's 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 kind of wild. I don't know. Like he he was pretty pretty special person it seems like you know and I, how can we even forget like changed his name to Y at one point too yeah why not yeah. <laughs> why not <laughs> <laughs> um, so does that was that before
2: prince it after. was after
1: prince it was after, after prince. prince but yeah. he liked the aesthetic of why and it was easy to say that was like that was why he said he wanted to be well there's
2: a whole bunch of
1: reasons it was
2: like uh, there's there tons of reasons why he did it you know like uh yeah my god you know like it's, it did like uh <laughs> like i it's a it take too long to read all the reasons you know i mean one of the reasons he said you know like he'd he kind of he, he stopped working as a consultant i think for mattel and he yeah. wanted like a cr- clean break, you know, like because the name Maury was so associated with Maury. Yeah. Um, so this way, you know, confusion can be eliminated, you know. So, like when he does other things, you know, he can be why and not not associated with the bodyboard all the time. Yeah. He liked the symmetry of it. He said it's a spelling no-brainer. I mean, that's like he had a good sense of humor about it. <laughs> he liked how why <laughs> also sounded like why. Yeah, <laughs> and he said, you know, figuring out why has been the, the great importance throughout my life. Uh, you know, the design why depicts the prime number three, mm-hmm. uh yet also encompasses the prime numbers one and two. You know, it's uh, there's so many more reasons. There's a whole list of reasons why he did it. it was, so uh...
1: cool. <laughs> it's so awesome. Anyway, uh, another
2: things with with all this. Yeah,
1: yeah. I'm I was gonna gonna say, say. I was just gonna read off one of the reasons Matt Warshaw liked uh you know, uh, likes Tom Mori also mm. because I love Tom Mori for the reason I love Wayne Barthol Wayne Bartholomew. Both connect themselves and the sport and by extension the rest of us to the greater world outside of surfing. They fire rockets through our sports insularity. Mori aiming mostly towards science and technology, Einstein Edison Bell, Bartholomew going for arts and history, Bowie Ali Rommel. So it's like, I don't know, that was a pretty cool little quote. That yeah, yeah.
2: But well, I know that's, I, I think I said it once, but that's what I always liked about Matt's writing is that, you know, I I just thought that like all surfers thought were like clued into what's going on in the outside world, you know? Yeah, no. yeah I always like that when, <laughs> yeah, when when surfing, yeah, brings in other aspects of, of the greater world. Totally. Because then it makes you feel like surfing's this nice,
1: comfortable vehicle in which to uh in which to explore the rest of the world. Exactly. Exactly. Um you you were talking about also how there's like there could be we were talking before we we recorded how there could be like Tom Moriisms, like a whole like a, a Tommy Moriism for every day. Mm. <laughs> I was hoping you could share some of these. I thought they were really those are cool concepts. Oh my God, there's so many um argh.
2: Uh, here's one, I suppose, you know, remember, life is all a free lunch, you didn't make your body or mind, they were given, as was your education, and as have been all the choices made by the particular combinations of the tiny corner of the universe, which is you, you may look like and even believe you're working when you do. But actually, what's going on is (laughs) that the social, physical, psychiatric, electrical, astrological chemistry of all these elements is just happening on its own you're a semiconductor being turning through the earth's permanent magnetic field at an average well it goes on but (laughs) you just like it's that's such a liberating way to think about things you know you're you're totally conscious and i suppose you are you know you are surfing the word life i guess but actually you know you didn't give yourself this body you didn't invent surfing you didn't make that wave you know like you're you're just lucky to be there you know and just totally and and maybe maybe having some influence over it all that takes a lot of the pressure off and it kind of makes you just sit back and just relax you know actually i was listening to the interview with albie falzon the other day and he read a quote from someone else who said actually the older i get (coughs) the more i wish i was invisible so i could just go through the world and just check it all out without worrying about Mm. Being seen and anything, I said, yeah, that's really cool. You know, rather than oh, I spend so much time worrying about, you know, me and my responsibilities and how I'm doing, when actually <laughs> it's, you're just a tiny little speck, and it's I find that so relaxing and liberating thinking something like that.
1: There, there's another one here that uh i read it's um he's being asked this question do you figure that surfing is a significant factor in human evolution makes a running catch with a grunt absolutely but i don't know that it's a factor any more than a boat wake is a factor in the movement of a boat a boat moves through the water and a wake shows up life's taken place and surfing has shown up And that's it. And uh, yeah, like another Moriism there, basically, they should do a whole book of his kind of philosophy and and stuff. That would be, that'd be really cool. Yeah, like, um, you know,
2: I've got that book, What Would Keith Richards Do? And it's just like, yeah, each page is like, (laughs) talks about like real situations in your life And then it shows you a time in Keith's life when he's done and what he would have done. And and you're like, oh, yeah, yeah.
1: So what would uh, what would why do? (laughs) What would why do? Um, What do you think the world would be like without Tom Mori? What do you think? surfing? if you go if you go on your last.
2: Well, okay, it depends on whose world you're talking about, obviously, all the people who knew Tom, including yourself, you know, like would be greatly missing out on a really cool guy. Um, yeah, so I think that's you know, like as far as his character goes, especially during the genesis period of post of modern uh, modern, you know, like surfing uh, outside of Polynesia, you know, like the original roots of it. Like you'd be missing out on a a real character who was an an archetype of one type of surfing archetype mm-hmm. actually um but then on the other hand you know obviously we talk about all the inventions and more bo- and boogie boards and all that stuff but maybe like what he just said is that actually the the boogie board would have just appeared you know I yeah no you know maybe he was just a conduit like he always says you know and maybe another conduit would have come along i don't know but without, if we didn't have boogie boards and all that there would probably be a lot fewer surfers let's say that
1: (laughs) they would they would definitely i mean they may may not have kelly slater he learned on a boogie board he Mm. he was standing on a bodyboard for the first time um i also think we wouldn't have surfers riding slabs maybe you know i think that would have taken longer to evolve because it was the bodyboarders who helped pioneer that sort of stuff um you wouldn't have uh you know maybe you know swim fins wouldn't have evolved in such a good way uh well, that was, maybe because the body boards helped propel the advancement of of swim fins didn't uh what's his name
2: <laughs> i forgot what churchill's first name was but he oh god i just read this the other day he came back from somewhere and had seen him and made churchill fins and that was like just you know and that was, I think, for body surfing.
1: Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. You know, you you uh, wouldn't have the soft surfboard potentially then. You know, uh, that would and all the surf schools and, everything. and all the surf schools exactly. You know, so it's um, you wouldn't have Mick Fanning's soft boards. Mm. Uh-huh. <laughs> I don't know. It definitely, and- it, it would have. I think it definitely would have come along. You know, it definitely would have come along without.
2: But it might have, like, but he was, he was, um. he was very clairvoyant. Like, did you read yeah. in one of, I mean, it was, did you read his, his yes. article? Bazooka. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And all his predictions. Ooh, yeah. They all on. like, they
2: were like, yeah, he predicted so many things. So uh, yeah, I think some of these things just happen, and then the, yeah, I don't know. He was, he, but he was the guy who was always riding those waves. So, yeah. Do you
1: think maybe the boogie board might have been invented by someone like a non surfer then, potentially?
2: Uh, no, I think it would have been invented by a surfer. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs>
1: yeah. I don't know. I mean, I, I but it just... wouldn't
2: have been as cool, you know, like, yeah. uh, I, I just read this today and. I was I felt good because I always felt that way too. I hate the word bodyboard, you know. Yeah, I boogie always love boogie
1: boarding. So much cooler, you know. <laughs> Do you remember? Um, there was an article in like the night 90, in '95 on on and Surfer, and they they kind of wrap up the the conversation with uh, him talking about he was working on this thing called the Vacuum Max. And it was Mm. like the missing link between a surfboard and a boogie board, basically. Well, I thought that was what you were describing before at the surf show that hunts. No, it was a different, it was a different thing. That was different. Uh. The the Vacuum axe was something totally different, I think. It was, the shape was so, like I've only seen like one or two photos of it where it's this pointy angular like device. Like it doesn't, it looks weird. It, I I I don't know how to describe it. Like really angled rails like um like uh, I'm showing Jamie here my my hands are kind of canted in by like a you know maybe a Just 45 like the- degree angle or something out like kind of slope, you know, kind of 45 degree out from the deck and then hard bottom, hard edge and the top you know angle of the rail which is just a hard straight 45 degree edge was parabolic. And so like the deck was like almost parabolic looking and it was just weird looking. And it was real interesting. They made a hard prototype, but they were going to make a soft version of it. And it was going to be something you could ride on your stomach or you could stand up on. But um, yeah, I don't think it ever saw the light of day. It was that
2: like, he was, influenced by the stuff they were writing in the flow riders is that like- potentially
1: yeah yeah it was like that was part of what he was discussing because he said he
2: saw like you know things that kelly slater and what how do you say the guy's name you said it in a podcast before the snowboarder
1: oh Terry, terrier terrier yeah. was sorry <laughs> those guys
2: the things they were doing on the Flow Rider, he said. Right, we need to make a surfboard like that. I think, and I think that's what led to this. What is it called? The Vac Track. Uh,
1: the, vacuum axe. Vacuum axe. Vacuum the Vacuum Max. Vacuum Max. Vacuum Ma- Max. The Vacuum Max, capital M. Uh it's. He uh, called it the Missy Link. It's pretty interesting. Like uh, I've always been curious about that. I was like, I wonder what this is look like. Maybe someone should recreate that now, you know? Yeah. And then, you know, I thought maybe, oh, maybe the swizzle, you know, was like that, you know, but it wasn't. It ended up not being that. Yeah, yeah, the swizzle was big. The swizzle was a longboard. So, um, the other thing is the end of his life was kind of a little sad, no? Um,
2: I don't know too much. I only read what, what they said in Beach Grit when did, that he in what, 2017
1: what you know? well he, he hadn't saved a lot of money I guess you know mm-hmm. a lot of the money that he made from like you know selling the bodyboard like he poured that money back into all these inventions and you know and he again like he worked for Mattel as a you know someone who was advising them uh, as a consultant but he never really made a lot of money you know, and like like you said, he just kind of went got by and both him and his uh, wife, Marcia, got sick. He had like some sort of degenerative disease in his eyes and he went was going blind, basically, and he needed surgery and, and the, the health care, the surgery and stuff that he was doing, like was really expensive. All the doctors, all the medicine. So they did like a big fundraiser for him. Uh, 2017, Mike Stewart and, and a bunch of other people organized a huge fundraiser, um, to raise money for him. But, uh, yeah. And apparently that, that was enough. They raised enough to help him, you know, get the surgery they needed. And, you know, and seemed like he, you know, his, his final years were pretty good. You know, it wasn't awful, but I don't think he was like, you know, I think he had a lot of health issues and you know, health insurance in this country sucks. It's ridiculous.
2: God, it's, so, so to... that's, it's so sad to hear that, you know, like to think that you could be going along fine, you know, because like mm-hmm. I, I read something, you know, with him 20 years ago, and he said, you know, I, I, you know I'm I, not rich, but I have, you know, a house by the beach. I have a condominium mm-hmm. in Mexico. You know, I, it's like he was doing fine, you know, yeah. but then just because you get ill and old, you can get taken down. So that's, that's really sad.
1: Yeah, yeah, you know, but I think, he lived a freaking awesome life. He had, you know, some, you know, kids, you know. And his daughter was a very cool artist. I yeah. Think. Yeah. So, I mean, like, I and he, you know, I don't know if you read on, on the encyclopedia, but his burial instructions. Yes. You know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he has the whole thing in there. It's, it's pretty interesting. <laughs> yeah. I don't think you need to go into the details. No, no, we don't. But I do like um I do like one thing, you know, it, that it said, you know, what it says on um his barrel. I think it's um uh, on the on his finger should be placed a ring bearing the inscriptions. I came forth from God and returned unto him, detached from all save him, holding fast his name, the merciful and the compassionate. It was just sweet. I don't know. Mm. And uh yeah, pretty, pretty interesting. But yeah, it, it's, ah, yeah. So that, that's Tom Morey. Sorry to end it on a somber note there then. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we can cheer um, people up with some trivia. Yeah, well, all right. Well, you know what time it is then. It's time for Stump, Stump My, my bro. bro. Okay, so. The thing with him, ready? there's so many interesting,
2: bits of information you know like yeah it's so crazy stuff
1: it's crazy how much information there is. Yeah, how many things a, you could do a tom Mori quiz you know i think yeah that'd be cool <laughs> <laughs> well if we had like if we were doing jeopardy or something he would have a whole topic column you know for yes. him tom Mori and his isms you know i don't know <laughs> um <laughs> so uh stunt my bro what do you what do you got
2: Oh, uh, I'll come up with that. I've got a few. We'll try a few. Okay. Um, so do you remember, you know, what slip check is, right? Yes. So that's the, you know, the spray on traction that, yep. uh, you know, kind of like what Ultra Deck was in the 80s, Master mm-hmm. Deck. Yeah. And, you know, started off as epoxy paint for road barriers. <laughs> but um, And that's in then you know, I think a guy, Bill Hubina, I think at his factory was the first person to ever use it. Um, And then Tom, I think, was like, cool, we could market this, you know, and they came with all sorts of cool stuff. But do you know who coined the name Slipcheck? No, I don't. It's very interesting. Like, (laughs) I would have never guessed it. Um, It's uh, the the maker of uh, Surfers and Freeride, Bill Delaney. Really?
1: Fascinating.
2: he was either hanging around the shop or working at the shop, and and he he came up with the name Slipjack, and it's such a good name, you know. Damn. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> so it's, there you go.
1: This thing that slipjack Maybe, tore maybe up if your, maybe
2: if Rabbit had some of that on the
1: uh, swing, he wouldn't have fallen off. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. A <laughs> slip check apparently tore up your knees really bad. Well,
2: originally he would just put it on the um on the nose of the board, so yeah. it was it was perfect. You know, you put wax yeah. the rest of it and you have it up there, and then uh, and then it also showed you where to hang ten. So it kind of marked out the area. So it was it was pretty
1: cool, pretty neat. <laughs> um. Okay, who said this of bodyboarding? All right, we're taking a quote here. Let's see if you know this. You can't you can't prop a dead man up and make him tee off, but you can take <laughs> a moldy old cadaver, stick him on a bodyboard and shove him down a wave.
2: <laughs> I have heard that one a long time ago.
1: <laughs> uh, is Dave Parment there, maybe? Uh, no, it's Ron Romanowski, premier oh, wave, wave okay. photographer and uh, a uh wedge bandit. Uh, once postulated that golf takes infinitely more skill than bodyboarding. His reasoning, point taken, Romnansky's thesis is all the more interesting when you realize he's coming from a body surfer's perspective. <laughs> and, and, a, and a knee boarder as well. Yeah, yeah.
2: Um, all right. Top knee board shaper. Yeah, that's
1: a, yeah. I, yeah, because the people at the wedge, they must have hated the body borders, you know. Oh my gosh, yeah. You know, and then skimboarders, you know, now and regular surfers all show up there. Uh, Great documentary, Dirty Old Wedge, if you want to get a good historical perspective, by the way, on that spot. (laughs) All
2: right. Uh, I'll give you one. Um, What was the original name, like the official name of that, uh, his first
1: pro surf contest? Um. Wasn't it the the mori Maury, the Maury, No, no. I thought I thought that it was it. No,
2: it was the first United States Pro Surfing Championships.
1: Wow, I did not know that. I,
2: yeah, that <laughs> would make sense. I don't think he would yeah. have called it
1: the Mori Invitational. You know, he True. would have thought
2: of like you know
1: this know. Make
2: this this will be the
1: first. You know, he might have been promoting his surf shop. You know, that's that's what I thought. <laughs> um okay. This bodyboarder was known for taking on both Derek and Michael Ho in the fist fight after a run-in at Pipe back in the early 90s. Uh, no idea. Howley Reeves. Uh, Do you remember? There's video footage of this too, apparently. But it was uh I don't know, I thought I'd throw a little bodyboarding because there was lots of uh, you know, it was for a little while there, it was really tense with the bodyboarders and surfers at Pipe. Yeah, yeah. You yeah, know, know. yeah. You know, like when body- I went there in, in 99, there was um, a lot of, there was like a big proportion of the surfers were bodyboarders out there. On small days at Pipe, it was mo. They were the ones who were dominating mostly, mm. wasn't it? Mm. Yeah, yeah.
2: <laughs> okay. Um, what was the name of uh, Tom Moore's first surf shop?
1: Oh, I don't know this. Damn, man, what's wrong with me?
2: Uh, the Australian Surf Shop, from 1955 to 1965. Really? Yeah. Why
1: do you call it that, the Australian Surf Shop? I
2: uh, don't. Maybe you know, it's, it's a bit, bit of catch. You know, kind of like maybe you know how like different bands in their uh, mid 60s in america would like copy the british kind of look you know and almost mm. try and pass themselves off as british you know at the time and maybe it gave it a bit of exotic you know international flavor maybe i don't know uh, well, what, what else that's,
1: that's all i got but oh i got more Here's oh you more. got more all right yeah
2: so um uh, oh, easy one, I think. Where did the name Boogie come from
1: for Boogie Boards? Oh, it was um, it was a song, right? Wasn't it that he, he lifted off of, or
2: oh, well, I would that he just really liked music, boogie. and so Boogie yeah. came with that. To Boogie, yeah. Uh, what, uh, <laughs> <laughs> what so he wrote a really long article i mean like god surface journal articles used to be so much longer i
1: know at least I, to- I,
2: I know and they were like you know maybe some people might find them too long but uh and also i my, I have a recent theory that maybe <laughs> the reason surfers journal articles are shorter now yeah. is because they've made the font bigger for the aging surfer of <laughs> aging reader because the fonts in the first five years they're really small like even i'm busting out the magnifying glass on some of them so <laughs> he in uh, i think in i think in the second year i think it was he wrote he wrote um a really long article detailing how he he made um he made a surfboard out of an unusual material for a big ad campaign did you know really? about this yes really? so you a big company approached him actually they they first approached dewey weber but dewey weber was too busy because dewey weber was actually doing good business and tom said that he wasn't doing any business at all yeah. um I, that's what he said that's the other thing his his articles he was always you know p- poking fun at himself and making jokes and everything um and he said his friend who lived in new york called him up and said this company wants uh they want to know if you can make a surfboard out of this material you know and to to prove that their material you know like uh can withstand water and all that stuff do do you know what it was that he made the surfboard out of i don't know no it was uh a cardboard and it was a oh, uh, yes paper yes. company yes and read yes. yeah to, I read this. to show yes. that that their boards you know their their cardboard could with you know stay out in the rain and all that and i yes, you know, it was a big fiasco and he shot it at Makaha. and um yes yeah, it's, it's a good article to read if i don't didn't see it on the on the encyclopedia but in the second year of surfer's journal if anyone's out there who uh has subscriptions you can yeah, go and look at it. was you
1: he used uh resin impregnated corrugated cardboard to make a paper surfboard for which it was a commercial. Yeah it was like 1966. That's crazy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> 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 That's so cool. <laughs> I can't imagine that that cardboard would be good these days. You know it'd be bad for the environment resin.
2: Yeah 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 maybe Although maybe most most cardboard now probably is a bit more waterproof than the past, maybe. Yeah, maybe. Um, and the last one I just came up with while we were talking. So, you know how you were talking about how in, in that first contest, how he came up with an objective point, you know, judging yeah. system. And then, you know, in the 70s, in the mid 70s, uh, some of the pro contests tried to have a points per maneuver system. Exactly, you know? yeah. And, you know, like, that's how MP won. P- right he had on his dashboard he had the scoring system so he memorized how how many points he got for each type of maneuver <laughs> and and that that system do you know what they called that system no i don't damn they they call it the hang 10 system hang and for yeah. years i thought it was because of maybe you know the sponsorship yeah it was hang the 10 hang pro. 10 pro which I think, or oh, I don't know, maybe anyway. I thought um it was based on that, and I'm like, oh no, it was because it was based on
1: Tomboy's <laughs> contest, the Hang That's funny contest. <laughs> I mean, so, uh, could you uh could you make surf contest today an objective like that? I wonder.
2: Well, do you know what? Like, I've been thinking that I, I think. On one way, like an objective system, you know, they try to make it as objective as possible. So, you know, they're trying to, you know, determine who is the objective best surfer. But yeah. it's, you know, so why, you know, like, do we really want, I guess we do want to know who the best is, but like, I almost, I used to really think about it a lot, try and come up with some sort of objective system, but actually... You might end up getting, you know, people have criticized before when you have an objective system, you end up maybe getting a lot of uh, people who look exactly the same. Yeah. Whereas maybe if you just scrapped it and really went the other way and made it much more subjective, mm. you, uh, you'd you end up getting much more interesting stuff, you know, like maybe a competition would be like a little bit more like an art competition, you know, or a book competition or music competition.
1: You know, like you, Grammy Awards and stuff. You know it would be cool is if you did, you pick a whole mix of judges who weren't trained, you know, like uh, WSL judges. But you get like Torn Martin as one judge. You get like then like someone who's like a like a competitive WSL surfer as a judge. You get, you know, someone who... Uh, maybe doesn't pay much attention to surfing, you know, even as a judge, like you get like a wide cross-section of people from different surfing kind of, um, aesthetics to judge. And they, they're the ones who pick their favorite surfers or score the waves. And then you'd really actually have probably a much more varied, different, um, a more diverse set of, um, surfers in the competition. You know, in terms of their style, and that would be kind of cool.
2: Yeah, I mean, it would be it would be tricky because it would be very you know people would be like what, wow, wow. but you know because why you know that's just your subjective preference. You like, but uh, but it, it might yeah. But then it could be like, did you hear Barton Lynch's description of what he wanted the judging to be like? No, he thought what it should be then is the the judges after it was, he said for one, he didn't think they should. Score points. What he thought they should do is send the two surfers out in the heat, but then afterwards the judges just say who they thought won, mm. and then rather than they won by point six or something like or point whatever it is, but then they have to come on the TV or whatever explain why and explain it, and then the the people watching would get more educated into what makes good surfing, and in it, mm. a sense. Like you know, you have dance with the stars, is that's what it's called over there. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, here it's called, you know, um strictly come dancing. And the the judges, you know, they always afterwards they explain what they liked and what they didn't like about it. And that's really fascinating. Watch it, and it does make you think about the dancing a lot more than if you just get a number, are sitting there watching me like, okay, why did they why? get that? I don't yeah. know why they got that. You know, I,
1: I totally agree with that. I do think the judges should be more involved in the in the uh, commentary in general anyway like there really should be like why did you score this what is why what, what were you looking for what you know when they do even like the at the end of the contest they should do breakdowns with judges and discuss that at least i think that'd be so fascinating like what the calculation uh what calculations went into scoring i would love to see one judge for style, one judge for athletics, one judge for wave, you know, like a uh, wave uh, choice. And then they score the points based on a certain criteria for the styles or, or what they think is good style and what one person thinks are cool. Af- af- you know, judging purely on the athletic maneuvers, one on the wave choice, one on like wave reading, you know, like that sort of stuff would be kind of interesting too. That might hmm. push for a more diverse kind of uh you know kind of uh surfing aesthetic in competitions.
2: Yeah Yeah. it could make it uh yeah make it interesting
1: (laughs) i also i do really like the idea of it being less of of a contest and making it more um like like boxing would be kind of cool yeah throwdowns like I'm gonna take you down Kelly Slater last time you know WWE style would be amazing well yeah
2: if you could just free up the surfers to be more uh yeah less
1: less polite maybe oh anyway we're getting off yeah all i know is if i were a middling pro on the tour that's what i would do to get to raise my profile (laughs) i would create a character yeah exactly bugs there's repercussions for that (laughs) Well, uh, that is it for our Sunday joint listeners. Thank you all for uh, listening. And in- we hope you enjoyed this episode on Tom Morey. Uh, just a couple of notes uh, before we get going. Uh, the Encyclopedia of Surfing uh, fundraiser is going to be coming up in next month. So be on the lookout for that. Please go to eos.surf to support the Encyclopedia of Surfing. And um yeah and otherwise uh we'll also uh we'll catch you on down the line. So uh thank you all for listening. Bye.
0: Bye. <laughs> I just can't, I just can't, I just can't control my feet. I just can't, I just can't, I just can't control my feet. I just can't, I just can't, I just can't control my feet. Sunshine, I don't blame it on the moon.